Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Have LDS leaders always had a deep respect and profound admiration for the faith-filled motives and devoted lives of those who use the cross as the symbol of Christianity? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. That long introduction actually comes from a statement that was made by Mormon Apostle Jeffrey R. Holland in a conference message that he gave titled, Lifted Up Upon the Cross. It was a Sunday morning session of conference. He gave it on October 2, 2022. And we're going through the transcript of this talk and comparing some of the things that Jeffrey Holland says with some of the things that were said in the past regarding the symbol of the cross, which of course has been a symbol of Christianity for not only generations, but centuries. Mr. Holland starts off this conference message by discussing a conversation that he had with a fellow student who asked him, why have the Latter-day Saints not adopted the cross that other Christians use as a symbol of their faith? That's really the context of what Holland is going to be talking about. But in yesterday's show, we turn to a statement that was made by 10th President Joseph Fielding Smith, and this can be found in his book, Answers to Gospel Questions, Volume 4, page 17. And we're going to go back over this paragraph to show you the apparent feelings that Well, at least Joseph Fielding Smith had towards those who wore a cross as a symbol of their faith. What did Joseph Fielding Smith say about that? To many, like the writer, such a custom is repugnant and contrary to the true worship of our Redeemer. Why should we bow down before a cross or use it as a symbol? Because our Savior died on the cross, the wearing of crosses is to most Latter-day Saints in very poor taste and inconsistent to our worship. Of all the ways ever invented for taking life and the execution of individuals among the most cruel is likely the cross. This was a favorite method among the Romans who excelled in torture. We may be definitely sure that if our Lord had been killed with a dagger or with a sword, it would have been very strange indeed if religious people of this day would have graced such a weapon by wearing it and adoring it, because it was by such a means that our Lord was put to death. Well, let me just comment on that for a second, Eric, because I think it's the cruelty of the cross that certainly gives the cross special meaning to us as Christians. In other words, the fact that Jesus, as both God and man, had to go through and endure the pain and suffering of the cross on our behalf has a special meaning to us. So while he might mock this idea and say, well, we may be definitely sure that if our Lord had been killed with a dagger or with a sword, it would have been very strange indeed if religious people of his day would have graced such a weapon by wearing it and adoring it. I don't know. Maybe they would. That's not how it happened, though. So I don't think that's a fair argument. I read one time from a Christian writer who asked the very same question, would we wear a dagger or a sword around our necks? And the 
the response was, well, yeah, we would, because that symbol would help us to understand what took place in the death of our Savior. I mean, I've heard this mocked with even a bullet. Would you wear a bullet around your neck? I could not find where I found that, but I, I years ago I remember reading. So whether it's a dagger or a sword or a bullet, I guess I would agree. I would wear that as a symbol, but it was the cross, and so that's why we put the cross around our necks. Well, in using Joseph Fielding Smith as an example here, and and certainly he's he comes right out and says that the idea of wearing a cross is repugnant and contrary to the true worship of our Redeemer. Where do we get that? Uh, I, I don't know what verse would really condemn that. It's, it's an image that reminds us of what happened many years ago on our behalf, as I said. But here's why I think Joseph Fielding Smith would have a problem with this. Because during the time of Joseph Fielding Smith, he was the 10th president of the church, he wrote in his book, Doctrines of Salvation, and this is found in volume 1, page 130, that Jesus' greatest suffering was not on the cross, but was actually in Gethsemane. He said, we speak of the passion of Jesus Christ. A great many people have an idea that when he was on the cross and nails were driven into his hands and feet, that was his great suffering. His great suffering was before he ever was placed upon the cross. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane that the blood oozed from the pores of his body, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. And he's citing, of course, from the Doctrine and Covenants when he says that. But you see, because they don't place the same emphasis on the cross as we do. It would make sense why someone like Joseph Fielding Smith would make the comment that he makes. It would make sense that a person like Gordon B. Hinckley would make the comment that he made to the Protestant minister asking a similar question as to why Latter-day Saints don't have crosses on their buildings. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, that seems to be changing somewhat. Although I don't understand why they put Gethsemane in there at all, especially when it comes to the context of the atonement. Certainly, Jesus did go through a lot of suffering when he was in the garden because of what he knew was going to take place once he left the garden. But we don't see anywhere in the Bible, we don't see anywhere in the Book of Mormon where the Garden of Gethsemane plays any role in the atonement for mankind. I kind of hold a personal opinion that that may be one reason why some of these past leaders looked at it the way Joseph Fielding Smith did. It did not carry the same significance. But as I mentioned yesterday, and I, I still wonder about this, if you're going to have two places for the atonement, the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross, explain to me, please, what happened specifically at each location. Why do you need two locations? What happened? What was expiated, for instance, in the garden? What was expiated on the cross? Give us an answer to that. Don't just look like you're falling back and punting because a lot of Bible-believing Christians have been challenging you on this whole idea of Gethsemane, and you really didn't have an answer, so now you're going to throw in the cross as an afterthought? I don't think that's a very good answer either. Holland goes on to say, one reason we do not emphasize the cross as a symbol stems from our biblical roots, because crucifixion was one of the Roman Empire's most agonizing forms of execution. Many early followers of Jesus chose not to highlight that brutal instrument of suffering. 
The meaning of Christ's death was certainly central to their faith, but for some 300 years they typically sought to convey their gospel identity through other means. Now, the problem we would have with Holland's analogy here is if we could find any type of representation of the cross early on, that would seem to undermine Holland's analogy here. But let's not forget something, folks, because he's going to go on to say, by the 4th and 5th centuries, a cross was being introduced as a symbol of generalized Christianity— But ours is not a generalized Christianity. Being neither Catholic nor Protestant, we are rather a restored church, the restored New Testament church. And the word restored and the restored is in italics. Here's what I think Holland seems to miss. There could be a very good reason why you don't see an abundance of iconography of the cross. Christianity was illegal, and you just didn't do that. There probably wasn't a lot of examples publicly because of the fact that it was illegal. Now, he admits this changes around the 4th and 5th century. Well, what happens around this time? Constantine comes on the scene, and all of a sudden, Christianity is not illegal as it was prior. So that could be one reason. But the fact is, we do find Christians using the symbol of the cross prior to this time period, and this is something that Holland seems to overlook. Let me read for you a statement that is found in the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, for instance. There's a paragraph here under the heading of the cross where it mentions how Tertullian, Tertullian being an early church father, reveals the extent to which the sign of the cross was employed among the faithful as a gesture by the late 2nd century. At each journey, and I'm quoting, at each journey and progress, at each coming in and going out, at meals, at bedtime, we mark the brow with the sign of the cross, end quote. Such pervasive use of the sign of the cross by the pious believers in everyday life suggests that it was also employed ceremonially in the public worship with great frequency. This is something that today that's generally utilized by, let's say, the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Both of them still use the sign of the cross, though I should say not exactly the way it's described by Tertullian here as only being on the forehead. You might ask, well, why don't Protestants do that? Well, because there's nothing in the Bible that says that that's something we have to do. That's a tradition. Now, if someone were to do that, I don't think it would bother me personally, but I don't see any New Testament mandate that says I have to do that. And that's what the Reformation was all about. It was trying to get back to what the New Testament really said. It's not that tradition is bad. It was bad when it crossed the boundary of Scripture. And that's why a lot of traditions that we feel as Protestants and utilized by the Western Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Eastern Orthodox Church is something that we choose not to participate in. We don't see biblical mandates for that, or we may see a biblical mandate that contradicts some of those traditions. Uh, In the next sentence, uh, Holland says, by the 4th and 5th centuries, the cross was being introduced as a symbol of generalized Christianity, 
but ours is not a generalized Christianity. Well, that's not true, because I'll, I'll just quote from the Jewish Encyclopedia. This is what they say, quote, the cross as a Christian symbol or seal came into use at least as early as the second century. Accordingly, the Christian fathers had to defend themselves as early as the second century against the charge of being worshipers of the cross. Christians used to swear by the power of the cross. Not only that, Bill, but you will find the cross on over a hundred ossuaries. Those are bone boxes found in the Jerusalem area, especially from the first century. In fact, they stopped making ossuaries in 70 AD after the conquering of Jerusalem. Ossuaries were no longer. 20th century archaeologist Jack Finnegan said this, in these tombs there are signs that can be considered Christian and names that are frequent or prominent in the New Testament. It surely comes within the realm of possibility that at least this area in particular is a burial place of families, some of whose members had become the very first Christians. So the evidence is very much against what he's saying. It's not introduced until the fourth or fifth centuries. The problem, of course, is, Mr. Holland, your church really isn't a restoration at all. They might use that word, and quite honestly, I think that's one of the big lies of Mormonism, is when they claim that theirs is a restored Christianity. I've said it many times on this show. I've said it many times publicly when I'm speaking on this subject. We do not find the early Christians believing a lot of the things that Latter-day Saints claim to believe today and that they say was a part of early Christianity in the first century. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.